It says, when Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a great crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him, my little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. A large crowd followed and pressed around him, and a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had, yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body and she was freed from her suffering. Uh, the, today's New International Version says she was subject to bleeding. Uh, the New Revised says she suffered from bleeding. Either which way is a gross understatement of the suffering that this woman had gone through. Uh, for us to say she was subject to bleeding for 12 years is uh, to, to miss the point entirely of the depth of all of the, the problems that this woman was dealing with in her life. She is struggling with bleeding, a, a feminine kind of bleeding, and she's been having this problem for 12 years. Now, let's just think about what this would mean back in the ancient times. This is before disposable paper products. This is before modern first aid types of things. And so uh, she would have not only been uncomfortable uh, at best or in pain at worst, but she would have also been embarrassed on a regular basis because you would have to take uh, the rags and the clothes and bandages and all the other things. You'd have to take those down to the river every day and wash those things in view of the entire community in which you live. And so she is uh, in, in, in pain, she is embarrassed, and she's also living in isolation. We know this because Leviticus tells us that uh, a woman who suffered from this kind of problem was unclean uh, until uh, sundown when these things stopped. Uh, and if it perpetuated, she was perpetually unclean. So she had been unclean for 12 years. Now, that's bad enough. You couldn't touch her. You couldn't visit with her. I mean, you couldn't sit down in her house because the law went on further to say this. Whatever she sat on was unclean. Whatever she laid on was unclean. So if you went to her house and sat on a chair that she had sat on, you would then be made unclean ceremonially. And so you would have to take a bath, and then you would remain unclean until sundown that night. And so you can imagine, with that kind of stipulation, she probably has very few visitors come to call. She is suffering. She is isolated. She is in a perpetual state of embarrassment, and she is alone. Odds are this has been the case since she became a woman, and she's been suffering from this for 12 years. Now, if that's not the case, then she's at least suffered with this for most of her adult life. Odds are she never got married because she couldn't have. If she was married, odds are she's divorced by now. She lives alone, a life of quiet desperation. And then she hears about Jesus. Jesus is going to come, and she thinks to herself, you know what? If I could touch him, I think I would be made well. 
This is a lot of faith for a woman who's been to the ancient equivalent of the Mayo Clinic. She's seen doctors and specialists and been to research hospitals and probably a faith healer or two, and they've all let her down. And yet in this instant, she knows to herself, she thinks and says to herself, you know what? If I could just touch him, I would be well. And so she decides that's what she's going to do. Now, if you've lived in a community for 12 years as a ceremonially unclean person, you don't just go out your front door and go into a crowd. Everybody there knows. Everybody there knows who you are and what your problem is. And there's no way that they're going to let you just walk through the city and make everybody in town unclean. So odds are she's going to have to put a cloak on that maybe nobody's seen her wear or hasn't seen her wear in a while. She puts a hood on so that way nobody can see her face. And she decides that she's going to sneak out and find Jesus. Now, I have to wonder if she smirked a little bit at the poetic justice as she was making the entire city ceremonially unclean. All these people that had shunned her before, she's now rubbing elbows with today. And she gets there, the text says, and she doesn't even wait for Jesus to look at her. She just touches the back of his cloak. And there's so many people just pressing in on him that she thinks nobody's going to notice. And so she touches his cloak, and the text tells us that in that instant, she knew she was healed. She knew the problem was gone. She knew it was taken care of. And so now that she's snuck out, what's the first order of business is to sneak back. There's no sense in causing an uproar. There's no sense in announcing to the world that I violated uh, social and ceremonial laws. I'm just going to sneak back home and be well. But Jesus has a different plan. Let's look at how this story continues uh, for this woman. It says, at once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding against you? His disciples answered. And yet you can ask me who touched me. But Jesus kept looking around to see who'd done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened, came uh, to her, came and fell at his feet, and trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. How would you like to tell the whole truth in front of the entire town? He said to her daughter, Your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. Thanks, Jesus. Um, you know, I knew I had been healed. I didn't need you to tell me. I didn't need you to stop the parade. I didn't need you to single me out. I didn't need you to tell me what I already knew. Thanks a lot, Jesus. You see, but Jesus has got a different agenda here. This woman wants to be healed in her body. Jesus has a much higher hope for her life. If you look at the words, you'll see where it says she felt that she was healed. She felt that stop. That's the normal word for healed. What Jesus says to her is something different. He doesn't say, woman, you've been healed. The word is saved. It says, woman, your faith has saved you. And that's a statement of fact at that point. It's past tense. It's already taken a, a, a shape. Jesus says, as soon as your faith connected with me, you were saved. And now he gives her a command, go in peace, be freed from your suffering. Peace isn't just like peace, man. It's wholeness, it's wellness, it's health, it's prosperity, it's all these things. And Jesus says, go now in wholeness, be freed from your suffering. And Jesus, I think, has to make this proclamation. And he's not just making it to her, but he's also making it to the community. 
I mean, let's just think about how this would go, just pragmatically. She has been suffering from this problem for 12 years. Probably since she was a girl, they would have asked her parents, Hey, listen, how's your daughter doing? Well, she's not at synagogue again today because she's still unclean. And, you know, we really hate that. But, you know, we've been to this doctor and that didn't do any good. But but we're going to go see another doctor and we really hope that this is going to help. And so you ask again next week and you get the same story. We went to that specialist, that didn't work. But we're going to go to the hospital over here and we think that that's going to make things better. And, you know, but she's still not here because she's still unclean. She grows a little bit and you start to ask her, how are you doing today? Well, I'm not doing much better. It's about the same. And you get kind of tired of asking after a while. Pretty soon you stop asking. You just say, hey, listen, I'm thinking about you. You know, I'm thinking about you this week. I hope you're doing better. All right, I got to go now. And then after a while you avoid that. Because, you know, that's just, this is kind of phony. And you think, you know, I'm just going to just not ask. I'm just not going to talk. We're just going to pretend like she didn't exist. And so you've got an entire community that has been asking but stopped asking because it was getting a little awkward to hear the same thing year after year after year. And so now you've got this woman who lives in the margin of society who's completely ignored. She walks down the street and everybody goes, oh, there she goes again. And nobody pays her any attention. And so Jesus, he's not just telling her that she's been healed. He's saying, listen, you've been restored in wholeness to this community. He's announcing the community. This woman's faith has saved her. Treat her like it. He's telling the woman, listen, your faith has saved you. Go in wholeness. Don't let anybody tell you that you still live in a place of brokenness. Don't let anyone else tell you that you are less than they are. Go in wholeness. Be freed from your suffering. That's a hard command, but it is a command. I mean, you think about all the echoes of the past and all the problems that are just going to come back to her, all the the hurt that's going to be remaining. She's in a state of, of being saved, Jesus has said, but she's still got to deal with those things. And Jesus says, listen, you've been saved. Live like it. You've been saved. Now go live like you've been saved. Go live in wholeness. Go live in peace. Let go of that shame. Let go of that guilt and live like you've been saved because you have been saved. Jesus proclaims that to her. Go, your faith has saved you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. Meanwhile, I don't know if you come to the beginning of the text, we've got this guy Jairus. Jairus is there and he's waiting. His daughter is 12, which means that she's been alive as long as this woman's been suffering from her problem. And Jairus is over there watching all this take shape. You know, Jesus, come with me. My daughter is at the point of death. Could you please hurry? And Jesus stops and says, who touched me? And Jairus is incredulous at this, this question. What do you mean who's touched you? Everybody's touched you. And then he sees him talking to this unclean woman. And he's thinking, come on, Jesus, let's go. And then this conversation is prolonged. And Jairus starts to stamp his foot and say, listen, my daughter, she's still at home. She's still dying. Do you think we could forego the the discussion with this silly, unclean woman and move on to my house? It's at this point in time that some people come from Jairus' house. And they've got news for him. Let's finish out the rest of this text. It says, while Jesus was still speaking... Some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead. They said, why bother the teacher anymore? Uh, Overhearing what they said, Jesus told him, don't be afraid, just believe. 
He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, While this commotion and wailing, the child is not dead but asleep. They laughed at him. After he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which means little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately the girl stood up and began to walk around. She was 12 years old. At this they were completely astonished. He gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this and told them to give her something to eat. Jairus here, at the beginning of the text, has said, uh, your daughter's dead, why bother the teacher anymore? We read that and we think this is kind of a statement of compassion for Jesus, right? There's nothing he can do. Why don't you leave him alone? Why don't you let him do his own business? You know, it's, it's done. It's over. As easily as it's translated that way, it's translated this way also. Stop bothering with the teacher anymore. You see, Jairus, the text tells us, is a synagogue leader who taught in synagogues the rabbis. We have another word for them at this point in time. It's the Pharisees. The Pharisees are teaching in the synagogue. Uh, they're part of the establishment that's trying to kill Jesus, trying to do away with Jesus, is not real happy with Jesus. Jairus is part of the establishment. And I can imagine that as they've had doctors come in and out of their house and the Pharisees have come by to say, uh, you know, their, their peace, uh, Jairus has said, you know what, I'm wondering if Jesus could do something about this. And they all looked at him like he was crazy. You mean Jesus? This, this hippie guy that, that we're trying to get rid of? You mean this guy? This is the guy you want to bring into your house to take care of your daughter? No, 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 no. Leave, leave him alone. He's a snake oil salesman. Let, leave him be. It's not going to get you anywhere. Meanwhile, the daughter dies. They've told him, listen, if you go, she may not be here when you get back. And what are you going to do? But waste all your time on this wild goose chase. Some of these people show up just to say, listen, I told you so. Told you it wasn't going to do you any good. Your daughter's dead. And it's here that I think we've got to stop and just really ask some questions about Jairus. Why did he come? There's a lot of desperate people. I think Jairus had a little bit of faith. I think Jairus believed, perhaps, that maybe Jesus was who he said he was. That Jesus could do the things that he had heard and the things that he said he could do. And, and I think Jairus had a little bit of faith. And he wants to know, can he do this? Now, if we remember the purpose of miracles, they're signs. They're signs of Jesus' power. They're signs of the validity of Jesus' teaching. And so I think this miracle isn't so much for Jairus' daughter as it is for Jairus himself. Jairus comes with a little bit of faith, and now it's lying on the ICU table with his daughter and a big flat line across its monitor. And Jairus is at the point of total despair. Jesus says to him, don't be afraid. Just believe. Hang in there a little bit longer. He goes with him. He puts all of the skeptics and all of the naysayers out of the house. You know, there's an interesting contrast between the two of these. The woman had what she thought was a private problem. Jesus said, no, it requires a public solution. Jairus has now had this public problem. And Jesus says, listen, Jairus, we don't need to make a show about this. I just want to show you that I am who I say I am. And he does. The girl is resurrected along with Jairus' faith. And the text tells us that they were completely astonished. We don't use that word a lot, astonished. 
I mean, how many times in the week are you astonished at things? Mark doesn't use that word either a lot. As a matter of fact, he only uses it one other time. Mark uses that word for completely astonished at the tomb, the empty tomb. And at the end of Mark's gospel, if you'll remember, all it says is they fled for fear and amazement at what they'd seen. Their lives were changed. Uh, those women at the tomb, uh, they, man, their faith connected with Christ at that point in time, and they lived like it, we know, from history. And I think Mark's trying to tell us the same thing. At this point, these people are completely amazed at what Jesus has done, at what Jesus is doing. And I can tell you that their faith connected with Christ, that their faith saved them, and that they went and they lived like it. This morning, as, as I thought about this text, I, I thought about a lot of things and, and how it relates to us today. And I thought a lot about the way that a lot of Christians live. You know, if you're a believer in Christ and your faith is connected with Jesus, then, then I mean, amazing things have happened and He's brought salvation into your life. But so many people don't live like it. You know, they're like the woman. They hold on to all of these sufferings that they've got from the past. They hold on to all of the brokenness from the past. And Jesus is saying, listen, I've made you whole. Why don't you live like you've been made whole? And just so many people go back to the past. And they grab, they grab guilt and they grab the shame and they grab the sin and they grab all this other stuff. As though somehow that was more powerful than Christ. They grab all of those things and they hold on to it. And Christ said, listen, your, your faith saved you. Go in peace. Be freed from your suffering. And I think part of the problem is that we've got this mindset that says, you know, if we come to church, we kind of sneak up on the back of Jesus, we grab a hold of his cloak, and yeah, we can find salvation, that's true, but you don't find wholeness that way. You don't find complete wholeness that way. Sometimes it takes the community Sometimes it takes another believer looking at you eyeball to eyeball and saying, listen, your faith has saved you. Go live like it. And so this morning, I guess if I had one great word of encouragement to you, it is that if you have found the saving power of Christ, and yet you're not living in wholeness, and you're not living in peace, you need to find somebody that can proclaim that to you. You need to find another believer, an elder, me, somebody else that will look you straight in the eyeball. We'll let you tell them the whole truth. And that they can look you right back in the eye and say, you know what, go in peace. Your faith has saved you. Be freed from your suffering. Church, your faith has saved you. Let's start living like it.